0: Hello, my lovely people, and welcome back to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we're talking about Hit, Run, and Homicide, Season 1, Episode 8, first aired November 25th, 1984. IMDB says, Jessica and the police are baffled by a seemingly driverless car that suddenly appears in Cabot Cove and runs down a visitor who had fired local inventor Daniel O'Brien. All right, let's get into this. First and foremost, um, I always thought it was hit and run homicide, <laughs> which would have made a lot of sense, but a little bit on the nose but (laughs) apparently it's hit comma run and homicide anyway so we open with Daniel riding his bike uh looking down apparently he's kind of uh just all over the the road (laughs) and we see Jessica also on her bike heading directly towards him she starts ringing her bell I love that she has a bell on her bike (laughs) and yelling at Daniel like Daniel Daniel he does not look up finally he she stops he stops inches from her it's like oh Jessica you really need to watch where you're going (laughs) she's like uh I think you have that backwards (laughs) he's like oh you might be right uh she was like you should you should actually look up every once in a while instead of at your handlebars. And he says, well, this is a device I invented. It checks your heart rate with the handles, uh, handlebars, and it tells you the speed you're going. Now, my question is, now, this is 1984. I I was not in a gym or anything like that, that at that age. <laughs> but did they have treadmills and ellipticals that did this because I know now we have um, treadmills where you can hold on to the handles um, and it'll take keep your heart rate it obviously tells you the speed we, had, we have stationary bikes that do that so I'm wondering if this had if there were things that had this in 1984 or if this is revolutionary and this is kind of thinking forward uh, that I don't know. I probably should look that up, but I, I don't know. Anyway, so they're talking about the Founders Day picnic. Jessica's like, well, since we've bumped into each other, are you coming? And apparently it's that day. He's like, no, didn't Founders Day pass already? Uh, she's like, it did, but it rained out that day. He was like, oh, I thought it came pretty, came and went pretty quickly. Uh, so he says, no, I have a guest at home. So no, I'm not going. And uh, Jessica indicates that, well, you know, you and the guest should come. You can hear my speech. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing she is the most, one of the most significant uh, residents there. That she's giving a speech at the Founders Day uh, celebration. Uh, probably, ne- well, probably more important than the mayor to be absolutely honest <laughs> anyway so now we're at the picnic and Jessica is we see kids running around a little multicultural situation going on it was nice to see some people of color in Cabot Cove um, and it's also a clam bake so it's a clam bake and picnic so <laughs> they're doing it up uh, there's also a softball game going on in the background and Ethan is the pitcher and he is wearing a sweatshirt and jeans. Uh, I was like, this is obviously a casual game, but uh, I will say that his jeans were very nice. Like, this is, Those are something I would wear today, you know, very... Like very good quality. I like the color. A lot of some of the jeans in the eighties and nineties were a little washed out, but it was a really good dark blue pair of jeans. Like, I'm just saying. Anyway, so, uh, Jessica, we get to Jessica, and she's speaking with another resident who's helping her out, and she's trying to figure out um what to say about. The founders. So um, we'll find out that there is another prominent figure, uh, but that's not who they're talking about. Um, it's <laughs> she said. Well, oh, uh, I think it's Captain Caleb. It's not Captain Caleb. Um, uh, I couldn't make out what the lady said. Like how she pronounced the guys. <laughs> captain's name was like Waylon or something to that effect and so um Jessica's like well I don't really want to say that he's a pirate and she was like oh we like his Yankee gumption it's like oh also the fact that he fought on the side of the British in the the Civil War she was like oh no Jessica's like yeah he did and the lady was like you can't tell everybody that you can't say that she's like "Mm, yeah kind of figured that And all of a sudden, uh, the cheers and talking is broken up by a man running at full speed in a full suit and a wood-paneled station wagon at his heels. And he's running and yelling. Everyone stops to look. Those who are on the um, baseball diamond, it's heading towards them. They take off running, uh, jumping out of the way, the whole nine. The man in the suit, he is running, uh, he gets to the fence that's in the back of the um, baseball diamond where uh, the catcher and the uh, hitter, the batter, usually stand right under that fence area. He starts to climb up it and the car hits the fence, uh, but not this man. The man falls on to the hood of the car and rolls off. The car backs up and then drives off. Everyone runs to see if he's okay. And that's how the scene ends. Now we see the next scene is Amos and Ethan um, walking. Amos, of course, in his full sheriff's uniform. I think he probably sleeps in it. To be honest, always, well, If you stay ready, you never have to get ready. So he, I'm guessing, even though Capico doesn't have a lot of crime, the sheriff is always on duty, which is good, I guess, right? So Ethan is telling him that uh, what happened and that the car did not have a driver. And this becomes important later. I hadn't even remembered this um, in a... A note further on, you'll see what I mean. But Ethan said he did not see a driver in this car as it was driving. Amos doesn't believe him and ask it how many six packs did he put away. And Ethan's like, are you trying to say I'm drunk? So my thing is, uh, I am very sure that Amos Tupper would recognize... If Ethan was intoxicated. Okay, he might not be the greatest sheriff, but he is an adult. Okay, (laughs) He's lived a life. Okay, I'm sure that he would have smelled alcohol. Uh, There are certain uh, signs and signals that tell you that someone is intoxicated. This person who was just uh, pitching for a softball game when this happened... Uh, walked in a straight line, was able to quickly jump out the way. I highly doubt he was intoxicated. But that's what Amos goes to. Maybe Ethan likes a drink here and there, but under these circumstances, Sheriff, really? So Ethan goes on his way because he, he's done with Amos. He's like, you're talking nonsense at this point. I know what I saw. And Amos goes into the hospital uh, to speak with, we find out that it's Charles Woodley and he is in the bed in traction. Now, I don't understand why he's in traction. Now, I actually did look this up and that's usually if it's usually to set a broken bone or to ease a dislocated uh, bone Back into the socket, he is not injured like that. <laughs> he tucked and rolled he was not there was no impact. He was literally maybe six inches from the car when he fell onto the hood and rolled to the ground. like I understand he's a bit older, but come on honestly. And the doctor says like, well, we don't see any broken bones. So why is he in traction? (laughs) He didn't say, well, it is dislocated. He says, we don't see any broken bones, but as long as you're in pain, we're going to keep you here. So I'm sure you took an x-ray and you would be able to see if his knee was dislocated. (laughs) What He must have amazing insurance that's just paying out. And they're like, we'll leave you here as long as, you know, your insurance approves. (laughs) Because otherwise, this doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so he tells us, Woodley tells us that he was there to um, visit Daniel O'Brien, who was a former employee at the company that Woodley owns, Womp Co. Electronics. Now, honestly, unless they made toys, I, <laughs> what type of name is Wompco Co for a serious <laughs> electronic business? And after we meet Daniel and find out what he did for the company, this is a legitimate electronics company. <laughs> it's called Womp Co. Um, and we figure out who the partner is. And it's not even like their initials or something like that, which you know, would make much more sense. Anyway, so he tells us also, Woodley tells us that his partner, he doesn't tell us the name, we find out later, his partner is due in the morning. Now, um, he says that he went to Daniel's home. Daniel was not there. uh, So he, but his cab had already left. And uh, that he started to walk. And he found some local kids who told him that there was a picnic and where it was. So he headed down to the picnic and on his way, that's when the car started chasing him. Now, okay, why this doesn't make sense. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think that Amos knows Daniel O'Brien. It doesn't appear that they know each other. I don't know how long Daniel has been in the neighborhood or lived there, but we get a little bit more information about his relationship with Jessica, who we know has lived there for many, many years. So we, I can't say that Amos, uh, well, actually, I don't know if Amos was even at the picnic, to be honest. He could have, we didn't see him. So Amos would not have known If Daniel O'Brien was actually at the picnic, what we as viewers know is that when Jessica spoke with him at the beginning of the show, that he said he was not going. So this is a small town and you know, on Founders Day for this picnic, everything is shut down. You know, everything is shut down. Maybe the grocery store, uh... I don't even know if the grocery store would be open. The owner is probably there. And if you need more soda, he or she will go back to get it. (laughs) But you know, everything's shut down, probably except the hospital and the sheriff's department. So it doesn't make sense that if Daniel wasn't at this picnic, that he wasn't at home. So I automatically think that Woodley is lying and that he never went to Daniel's home. That's just my theory. Let's continue. So next, we're at Daniel's home. And we see Jessica. Uh, It's clearly the same day as when she saw him earlier. Now, she spoke with him and then went home and made a pie, okay? Because you know that's homemade. You know she didn't go to the store to get that. Unless there is a local old woman who makes pies, (laughs) that Jessica wanted to help out the it was homemade regardless either Jessica made it and we know that she usually keeps cookies on deck uh and, or it was some little old lady running a business out of her her home anyway she's bringing a pie for Daniel's guest who we meet Katie now uh Katie accepts the pie. She said, okay, I'll put it in there and then we'll go back to uh, speak with Daniel. He's in his uh, um, lab. Okay, so I think it's his garage that has been fitted out uh, because they don't go through the house. They're walking around the yard. So I'm guessing it's a detached garage that he's uh, set up as his lab for his inventions, which are in technology, not... Uh he's not mixing chemicals or something like that. He is building electronics like he did back when he worked for WOMPCo. <laughs> so as Jessica is waiting for Katie to put the pie down and, and walk with her around back, we see Tony and Leslie. Now Tony recognizes Jessica and they clearly know each other. Tony is Daniel's nephew. Now I will say this. I literally when I watched this not too long ago, not this time, but not too long ago, I really took a I stopped and looked and Daniel and Tony, the characters, the actors look like they're related. I'm not gonna lie. I and it's his nephew, like he's not playing his son, he's playing his nephew, which you know that happens. Uh, a niece or nephew looks like their aunt or uncle, but I definitely did an IMDb search to see if they were actually related. They are not, but they cast those two very well. Okay, <laughs> very well. They legitimately looked related. Anyway, so Les, we find out that Leslie is Tony's fiance. And she's a saleswoman, and she's read Jessica's book, and she's really a fan. Um, And so Tony's like, well, you know what? How about we invite her to the wedding? And Jessica's like, what? Oh, you're getting married? Oh, that's so nice, right? Because Tony doesn't live in Cabot Cove. So uh, Jessica probably has no idea how long they've been together, uh, which we'll find out in a minute, and we'll discuss it in a second, right? (laughs) So... She's like, Yeah, you know, it's been a whirlwind, and you know, I'm just so excited. And I'm really trying to get I'm a saleswoman, I'm really trying to get all this, these appointments done so that we can sneak away for a honeymoon. So she's like, Oh, that's so amazing. Yes, that's great. Congratulations, whatever. So they run off so that Leslie can drop Tony off where they're staying because they're not staying with his uncle. They're, uh, It's not an Airbnb, but it's also not a hotel, but they're, they're staying in somebody's house, right? Um, they're renting a room in someone's house. I'll put it that way. And, uh, so, so Katie's like, well, you can use my car. Like, it's not a problem. And Tony's like, no, it's okay. Like, blah, blah. He also then turns to Katie and says, Tony turns to Katie and says, Oh, well, you know, are you sure you don't want to stay over in Portland for the night? And it's a hundred miles round trip. Okay, a hundred miles round trip. And she's like, no, you know, I want to come back. You know, it's whatever. I don't want to stay there. I want to come back to you. Oh, oh, how adorable. So whatever. So she's going to make a one hundred... Mile round trip. Uh, good luck with that girl. Uh, so now we go inside to the lab and um, we meet Daniel again, right? And he has on a lab coat and he, he is in there. He's uh, looking for a tool, he's screwing things into place. There's all these lights and bells and all of this going off. And it, it's definitely a lab, okay? And he's clearly well into electronics. And the way this is set up is it appears that he does this because he enjoys it. Now, It's not for a job. I don't think he has a job now, actually. But it's because he actually enjoys doing this work, which I'm not going to lie. I think that's pretty cool that he has the ability to work on projects that he's just imagined or sketched, well imagined and then sketched and then brought to reality, I think. I think that's super cool actually. So anyway, so he tells us, uh Daniel's like, oh, how did you like her? to Jessica and she's like, who? He's like, Leslie. She's like, oh she's very lovely. Like she They were out there for like a minute and a half, (laughs) but she was polite, right? And she's read my book, so she must be a good person (laughs) and she's beautiful. So, you know, whatever. Anyway, so Daniel tells us, oh, they met a month ago. It's a whirlwind. uh, And he, I told him to make sure he like snapped her up. She not let her get away. However, he put it. So that 30 days, he said they met, not got engaged, met a month ago, which would mean that they met that this man went out and bought an engagement ring, because she had an engagement ring, an engagement ring and proposed to her in 30 days. Maybe 31. We don't know what month this is. It could be July that they met July first, and now it's you know August first, but at most thirty one days ago, (laughs) and they're it sounds like they're trying to get married very soon, because she's trying to get front load her work so that they can go on a honeymoon. My question is why is Tony so desperate, because. I'm guessing that he doesn't know that he's attractive. He has, we find out he works at a bank and he has a direct number too. So that means that he has a good position at a bank. Most positions at a bank are good, but he has, it sounds like he has an office with his own personal line. Uh, So he has a great job. He's attractive And he doesn't have any kids. Does he have some personality flaw that we don't know about? Does he not realize that he's really a catch? Now, Leslie is beautiful. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he wouldn't be, quote unquote, settling. It sounds like, as a saleswoman, sounds like maybe she's successful as well. So it's not that. But why you got a rush? Like, she ain't pregnant. (laughs) Why you got a rush? You know? I don't know I don't know why he's so desperate that he would rush into proposing and actually trying to marry her this quickly you don't know anything you haven't met her family clearly as we go through this she we don't know where his parents are anything like that you have now just met his uncle after you have said yes I'll marry you but he hasn't met your family there's no word of him meeting your family. You haven't i I don't know if y'all live together, but if you do, that was super quick too, but you don't even know each other. you're getting married and like and you weren't people weren't like getting divorced like at the drop of a hat back then either, so it wasn't and I'm sure he didn't he wasn't gonna sign a, a prenup, so <laughs> this seems real real desperate on his part, and I don't understand why he's so desperate. Anyway, so um, also what we notice um, in the lab is that as Katie helps Daniel find uh, the specific tool he's looking for, he's looking dead at it, but, you know, we all have that happen, right? Uh, Katie clearly loves him. Like, you can just tell by her body language. And I think this is the perfect... Um, description visual uh, representation of their relationship she is caring for him right she is helping him and he is completely focused on his invention his work his technology his electronics he's completely focused on that now he wasn't rude he wasn't disrespectful to her he said thank you but it's clear where his focus is and it's clear where his focus has always been throughout their relationship. Uh, from when she worked also at WAMCO, which we find out that's how they know each other. She worked at WAMCO. Um, perhaps as support, I'm guessing, or an administrator of some sort. And it's unclear if she still works. Th- no, she doesn't. We'll we'll get into that in the end, but she she no longer works there. I'm guessing that when they fired Daniel, she left as well. Um, but it's clear that she has always had feelings for him, and he's just been oblivious because his focus has been on uh, his inventions. So uh, he's fussing. <laughs> And, um, but he's like, I love it here. You know, there was, there's nothing that would get me out of here, et cetera, et cetera. And Katie's like, uh, Jessica, you should tell him what happened. And so she says, well, there was this driverless car that hit your friend and he's injured and in the hospital. And she was, he's like friend. And she says, Charles Woodley. He's like, he's not my friend. It's like the only, and that he, I'm sorry. And Jessica said that. Woodley said that Daniel had invited him he was like I wouldn't invite him to anything except a hanging party and only if I had control of the ropes I was like oh that's some real hatred right there we find out why in a few scenes but he is clearly like instantly pissed off to the point where he he can't even continue working on his, in, his uh, invention or fixing whatever. He can't work on his project because he is that upset about this. And he walks out and Jessica's like, what is going on? <laughs> so the next scene, we see a boat pulling up to the dock. We see someone getting off of it and we see the back of them. It's a guy, he's in a suit with a hat and a briefcase. And, uh, he, he's looking around and he sees Ethan and Ethan is there repairing his fishing net, just hanging on out. And, uh, I think he also had on another good pair of jeans. Like, I'm just saying, just, just saying. Anyway, (laughs) Ethan's minding his business and we find out that this is Dean Merrill. This is Charles Woodley's partner and also the former employer of Daniel O'Brien and so uh, honestly Ethan could not care less okay he could not care less who this person is. Uh, Merrill comes up to him and says oh where can I find a taxi? Ethan's like oh well uh, they're all at the train station and most because most people come well he said most people come in by train so the taxis are at the station, and I think the train and bus station are close to one another. Um, in town, Ethan's like, oh well, you can uh get Old Pete, and he'll take you anywhere for five dollars. And so Meryl's like, well, where's old? Where can I find Old Pete? And Ethan's like, at the station. He's like, where is the station? Ethan's like, two miles, that way. So just, just this look of anger and defeat, okay? Because <laughs> Merrill tells uh, Ethan that his partner, who we know is Charles Woodley, uh, told him that it would be quicker or easier to come by boat, okay? So they are from Boston. So from Boston to... Uh, Cabot Cove by boat would be the best way to go so Ethan's probably like I don't know why he He must not be from around here because I don't know why he would have told you that (laughs) but again Ethan does not care Ethan then asked him well where are you going and he says to the hospital and Ethan's like oh well that's only one mile other direction and he's like thank you Ethan was like, have a good day, and (laughs) just kept on about his business, okay? So we see Merrill now walking down the street, and uh, it looks like it's um, a main road, probably the road to take you from the dock, which is one large area into town uh, where he's going to the hospital, I'm assuming to see Woodley. Now he is on the left-hand side of the road where if traffic came around, the driver would see him directly in front of them. He is not walking where the, uh, if a car came around, the car would be behind him. He's walking on the side of the road where the car would be coming towards him. So there would be plenty of time for the driver to react and him to react, um, because there is not a sidewalk there's really nowhere to walk on the uh on the shoulder of either side so he has to walk in the road which is also kind of messed up i'm not going to lie that ethan didn't give him a ride because that is not the safest situation for anybody i know it's it's obviously the very bright out probably in the morning or early afternoon but that's kind of messed up. Like, he's a stranger and all, but you honestly could have gave him a ride. Anyway, so, um, and, and got $5 for it. Like, well, I'll give you a ride for $5. <laughs> if old Pete was going to do it, you could have done it. Anyway, so then as he's walking, he sees a wood-paneled station wagon. Now, us as viewers, remember that this is the one that chased Charles Woodley. Now, we don't know if uh, Woodley and uh, Merrill had a conversation about how Woodley got injured. But Merrill is looking suspiciously at the station wagon, which also, there's nobody around. So it's very odd that there would just be a station wagon on the side of the road. And it's not, it's partially in the road and partially on the shoulder. Um, So it's, it seems out of place for one. Uh, And as he gets closer, he sees that there's nobody in there. So uh, also suspicious. So he continues to walk past it um, in the, a different lane of traffic And he hears it, as do we, start up. Now, remember, he walked past it and saw that there was nobody in the driver's seat. It starts up and it pulls into the proper lane of traffic. And at that point, um, Meryl turns around and starts to walk quicker. The car starts to go faster so Merrill takes off running. he had a uh, a towel in his hand uh, to wipe his forehead or and, and neck because it was it was i'm assuming it's summer, so he throws that he still has his briefcase and he starts running and the station wagon is all over the road, but it's definitely it's following him now it's on the wrong side of the road and instead of I understand this is to move the story forward, but instead of Merrill going to the right-hand side where it appears that there are trees and perhaps there's a drop-off, instead of him going there uh, and running along that side and maybe trying to, uh, listen, he then tried to jump on a tree <laughs> or climb up a tree uh, so that either the vehicle is going to crash into the tree and you're safe Or it's, there is um, a drop-off and it's going to fall into the drop-off. And I wouldn't feel bad because there's not a driver in there. But even if there was, they're trying to murder you. So good riddance. But he doesn't. He goes to the left and there is a large mountain, uh, but it's dirt. And so he tries to climb up, but it's loose dirt and he, he slides back down, he turns around, and the car is barreling towards him. So that's we just see the fear in his eyes, and then the scene ends. We then see, we're then at, now at Jessica's house, and she's typing away, and Ethan knocks on the door, and she's like, oh, you know, he's like, it's Ethan. He's like, come on in, Ethan. And he comes in, and you know he got some tea. Okay. (laughs) He got some piping hot tea. Okay. He comes in. He's like, oh, I heard you working, but I knew you wanted to hear this. (laughs) Girl, listen. And he says the, the guy from Boston was hit by a car. And she's like, Woodley? It's like, no, the partner Merrill. So he says that, um, they, so, so Jessica says by the same car that chased after Woodley and he's like I think so because some kids um however he described them some kids saw the car without a driver on further down the road and so um now this is two instances now because this becomes important later because of what Ethan says in, I think, one or two scenes from now. Now, Ethan has seen this car drive uh, with, operate without a driver. He's now had heard that after this incident, that the same vehicle was seen by some neighborhood children driving without a driver. And he says, you know, um... I think Jessica was like, could they have been mistaken? And he says, Ethan says, uh, when you see something like a driverless car driving down the road, you tend to take note. So stick a pin in that comment. So uh, (laughs) he says, well, you know, I think that Amos really needs your help on this one. He seems to be clearing his throat a lot. And she's like clearing his throat. Uh, side note, she has an entire jar of cookies, okay? They kind of look store-bought, but I promise you that she probably made those. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> she gives Ethan one and she's she's snacking on one as well. Anyway, so she's like clearing his throat. and Ethan says, anytime... Amos it has a problem or needs help, he starts clearing his throat. He's like, I've never told him that because I play poker with him. And he's like, and you know, because you play checkers with him. So you know his talent. <laughs> and she's like, okay, like if he wants my help, then, you know, but I'm not going to, you know, horn in on it. So the next scene where Outside the hospital we're on the street outside the hospital, and we immediately see Amos <laughs> clearing his throat okay <laughs> but he does have a cup of water uh, which just looks strange that he has just this small plastic cup of water just out in the wild, but whatever um so Jessica comes up on her bike and She says that, uh, you know, they're talking like, oh, how's the investigation going, et cetera, et cetera. And he says he's, um, you know, uh, things are going, right? (laughs) She says, well, you know, um, have you spoken with Woodley? She's like, he says, yes, I've spoken with him. It's like, did he explain why Daniel would say that he didn't invite him? To which Amos was like, he didn't. (laughs) Like, no, he said he didn't. It's like, well, you know, it's worth speaking to him again. Like, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and she says, he's telling her that Woodley and Merrill were partners and in this electronics business. And she says, oh, well, that when you talk to him, he can probably help you out because if the car was driverless, it was probably. Uh, needs a remote control and he may know about such things. <laughs> and so Amos is like, yeah, okay. And like Jessica is so used to dealing with him that she knows how to uh, phrase things. So Amos feels like, he thought of it first, and she's just confirming what he thought she doesn't make him feel like this is my idea i'm right and undermining him uh there's a little bit of change in dynamic uh in a in a, in a scene or two from now, but here he clearly respects her he is like, "Oh, you know, I wouldn't mind if you helped and you know, it's probably, it'll probably be good for your next book. However you have to couch it, um, you know, the most important thing is getting help from her. (laughs) So now we're inside the hospital and Woodley is still in traction. I just, his insurance must be fantastic because this doesn't make sense otherwise. (laughs) Um, so Woodley said that, um, Daniel helped design a remote controlled car for Wampco electronics back when he worked for them. And Amos says, "I think the car is the key, and we have to find it." Uh, this was the those were the most important things from this scene. So then the next scene, we're at Daniel's house, and they're having a barbecue. So it's Jessica, Katie. Leslie and Tony, and of course, Daniel, who's at the grill. I'm just going to say this the burgers looked very well done, a little burnt, uh, way past done for me. <laughs> but, you know what? I wasn't there. I don't have a choice in this. So <laughs> he was explaining that when Jessica brought up what was said about. The um, uh, the the driverless car, Daniel said, yeah, I designed one of those for Wamco ages ago, um, and Katie, who actually pays attention to what he does and says, uh, even back then, says, yeah, it, uh, he was explaining what it would be good for. And you know drivers like you, well, people like you who don't drive for uh you know deliveries, crash tests, et cetera, and then Katie picks right up off of that and says, "Oh no, it it's great because it has um self protection, I think she says, a device in it to reduce crashes." and etc cetera, etc cetera. like so she definitely was paying attention and listen and probably when he was talking about it or encouraged him to talk about it and she retained this information so you can tell that she truly cares about him because she listened to all the details about his project <laughs> and had his back immediately so uh, Tony's like, well, why did that? they never manufacture it? And uh, Daniel says, well, because it was too costly to manufacture. And it comes down that uh, price was more important than people's safety and lives. Uh, so he was like, let's eat. But, oh, how did I forget this? So Jessica says, they when they ask how the investigation is going, Jessica's like, oh, well, Amos is looking into a few things. He's in investigating a few leads, to which Daniel says, oh, so Amos got out his old Ouija board again? Wow, okay. <laughs> so obviously Daniel knows that Amos is not a great sheriff, so he's been here long enough to find that out. <laughs> anyway... So uh, next, the next scene is really brief. We're at Jessica's house. She's on the phone and she's speaking to Letitia. Just, she was like, I know this. She was like, I know this violates people's privacy, but I really need those numbers. (laughs) Letitia's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Like, seriously, you're just giving out information and violating people's privacy. But uh, granted, someone died. Uh, And was murdered, but she's not even the police. But I guess Letitia's like, well, if she was the police, then they would have to get a search warrant. But this is a regular citizen. I'll help her out. (laughs) Anyway, um, so she, uh, Jessica wants calls, uh, a listing of calls from uh, Daniel's house, right? So the next scene, is Jessica getting out of a taxi and running up to Daniel's porch to which Katie hops up out of the, the seat, her seat and says, Jessica, what's wrong? You seemed upset on the phone. And Jessica's like, well, I might be. There were two calls made from Daniel's house to Boston. The first number is, and she reads it off and Katie's like, oh, that's Tony's number at the bank. She reads off the second number To which Katie says, oh, no. And she has to sit down. And Jessica's like, "Well, well, well, whose number is it? And she said, it's Woodley's personal phone number. Jessica's like, are you sure? She's like, of course, I'm sure. Remember, I used to work there. So Jessica's like, well, listen, don't worry. Like, it just means that it came from his house. It doesn't mean that he made the call. Which Katie takes in stride. But I would be like, so are you trying to say that I made the call? Because <laughs> Tony don't live there. Uh, but are you trying to say it was me or Tony? But that doesn't even come up. It must not have crossed her mind. Which is good because Jessica was not accusing her at all. So, um, and clearly Jessica nor Katie believes that Daniel did this. Uh, but she asked, like, why... Was Daniel fired? Like, please be honest. And so Katie says Daniel was fired because he was too forward-thinking. His mind was always in the future, and um, he he really didn't. And that's not what they were looking for. It's not what Woodley and Merrill were looking for. And Katie also tells us that Daniel, when he was fired, uh, they tried to keep his inventions. And he had to sue them. And although he won, he spent all of his savings trying to, to fight uh, to keep his inventions, which is definitely a motive to murder both of them. Now, murdering them with one of your inventions really wouldn't have made sense. And Daniel seems like he's a lot brighter than that. But it is a great reason to uh, to murder both of them. One was a failed attempt. The other one actually um, panned out. But uh, this gives him a good motive. So the next scene, we're at Jessica's house. She has invited uh, Ethan, Leslie, and Tony over for dinner. Now, we don't know where Daniel is at this point, Um he hasn't been arrested or anything like that. So I I don't know why Daniel isn't there. Uh, but maybe he's having dinner with Katie, you know, because uh anyway. And they're talking about how Ethan and Tony were out with the sheriff uh and others looking all over as Ethan as Ethan said, creation, all over creation for. The driverless vehicle and they couldn't find it. And then at the end, uh, Amos, <laughs> uh, Ethan said, Bless his pointy little head. <laughs> oh my god, they really don't like each other. <laughs> anyway, had an epiphany that, um, you know, they had a helicopter out and there was a large uh truck that could uh, that was leaving town soon after. The incident with Woodley and uh Amos believes that the car must have been taken out in that. So, which Jessica says that, but then how did two days later uh it um kill his partner uh r- well run his partner down? And Ethan said, Well, you know, um. <laughs> This is the conclusion of it, right? Now, he said, taking you back, he said himself, Ethan personally saw that the vehicle had no driver at the Founders Day picnic. The second, he kind of vouches for the children who saw the driverless car after uh, Merrill was run down and says, if you saw a driverless car driving down the street, you'd remember that, right? But now he's saying, well, the kids could have been mistaken. Were you mistaken? Were you drunk? Were, you know, <laughs> he, how did you forget in like, what, 36 hours, if that, that you personally saw the vehicle that was chasing Woodley? Had no driver. So you knew it was possible. And that's why you believed that the kids saw what they saw. But now you're like, well, you know, they could have been mistaken. Ethan, no. Like, I'm through with you. Okay, anyway. So (laughs) also, honestly, I don't know why Tony's even wearing a shirt. Like why he even have one button buttoned? Because like his whole chest was out. He was showing uh man boobs and side boob. Like the whole, it had cleavage. The whole nine just out and about. Okay, I was like you were at a dinner with like world renowned author Jessica Fletcher, who you knew before she was famous. You know, uh, and someone who's a good friend of your uncle. And then Ethan, you know, for whatever that's worth. And like, your shirt is just all open. <laughs> How disrespectful. Like, anyway. I was <laughs> like, woo. Anyway, so Jessica brings up, well, um, did you guys check the stretch of woods east of the old gentry farm to which Ethan said, no, that's too overgrown. You can hide a bicycle or whatever he said in there, and she said, "Well, here comes shady Jessica. Well, if you jogged every morning like I do <laughs> like it mm-hmm, yes sir if you <laughs> you jogged every morning like I do, then you would know that there is a lot of areas where you could hide a car, and so she's like." I'll tell Amos in the morning. So um, the next scene is we're at the sheriff's office and Amos is like, no, I'm not going to do, like off top. Like we come into the middle of this. Uh, No, my budget is stretched. I'm not running, I'm not doing any goose chases and wild goose chases, whatever, whatever. He's just going off, right? And I'm thinking Amos, now you spent the entirety of yesterday on uh, running a fool's errand trying to find this car. And the one person in this entire town who has solved murders, okay, has actually solved murders both in Cabot Cove and out, and is well known and well respected, and who you asked to help you, okay. That you are not willing to look in the one place that she is asking you to look in? Are you serious? Like these, both him and Ethan seem to forget what happened hours before or a day or two before. It hasn't even been a whole week. (laughs) And you conveniently forgot that she was helping you with this. And you and you you're real spicy about it too. It's like calm down. So she's like, listen, um listen, I whatever. Okay, so you don't want to do it. Okay, fine. And he says, um, he told her to go look and when you find nothing, come back here and tell me what you didn't find. To which Jessica was like, Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> oh my god. I can't. Anyway, so the next scene, we see Jessica on her bike uh, going up, I'm assuming, to the old gentry farm. And suddenly she sees uh, a light reflecting off of a mirror uh, up further along off on a path because uh, she's on the road. So further into the uh, tree lined area. And I'm like, "Where did that side view mirror come from? Because it wasn't like just a regular mirror. If you look, it had a backing to it, like it was a a side view mirror um, but anyway, so uh Jessica goes puts her bike down and walks into the the forest <laughs> the the jungle area, whatever, and she sees the car so She's looking around, she gets in, she leaves the door open. As she's looking around in the car from the driver's seat, she then we then see the van like creep up. As she's looking around, she does not notice it. Then we see a gloved hand and a panel and we see a bunch of switches. And one is for the door. They click that they flip that switch, the door closes. They hit the lock switch, the door locks. Jessica's trying to get out. Then they hit a switch and the engine starts. And then they're off to the races. Now, what I don't understand, and this was brought up in another podcast, uh, how in the world is everything controlled by on and off switches? Because even, I'm thinking this now as I'm watching it, They're exactly right. Like, how is this even possible? This person is driving a large van and is somehow also steering the station wagon in front of them. Now, at the picnic, the van was there, but it was parked, okay? So, um, but also we don't know how far it has to be away from the station wagon in order to control it. So we don't know when that, we don't know when the van pulled up or anything like that at the picnic, but we know it was parked. Here, they're on a legitimate chase, okay? Jessica has no control over the vehicle and the person in the van it's controlling both their, both this large van and the station wagon where we don't see uh, an additional steering wheel. We don't see a joystick or anything. And anyone who's had a remote controlled car, you know, the, the small ones or even the ones where you can put your toddlers in and you can control it, it has some level of a steering wheel. For you to steer, you know, you can't just have it driving because you clicked on the uh, the engine and just have it driving. Like, how how is this possible? Anyway, so um, now also I noticed that for most of this time, the van is about two to two and a half car lengths behind. The station wagon Jessica's in but you'll notice and this is 100% because of the camera angles but we never see the van uh when while Merrill is walking he never sees it so it has to be behind him but we never hear it we never see it all we see is the station wagon uh chasing him and that that's definitely a camera trick because you can see the angles that we see they clearly we're keeping it uh further back, but we know that it had to be close enough because if it didn't have to be this close, then well, obviously the van driver who is allegedly controlling both vehicles has to be able to see where it's going, so it doesn't like crash and and kill a bunch of people, right but i i noticed that we can we could see the van at the picnic and we can see the van now following jessica but we did not see the van when meryl was walking down the street so as uh, now we're on the road we're in town now so we were at the old gentry farm when it started now we're in town Well, actually, no, not into town. She gets down to the dock and Ethan is driving away and he sees her and he he makes a U-turn and he actually overtakes, as he's driving, he actually overtakes the van. And so he's behind her, but he's like beeping his horn like she can control this. She clearly is not in control of the vehicle. What he needed to try to do is get in front of her and... You know, which is super dangerous. But I think that if he got in front of her um, and blocked her path, that they would have stopped the car. Like they wouldn't have let it hit his car because people could have ended up actually dying. But he, I don't think he could get up enough speed in his pickup truck to get around her uh, in the station wagon. But he's following behind her. He's beeping. Now, I don't know... Now they don't see any, like there's some people who get out the way closer to the dock, but as they're going out towards, uh, the bluff or, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, there's a lot less people. Like she goes through a barrier saying that the lighthouse is closed, going down this road, um, the car is going very fast and then all of a sudden it stops the van, um, the gloved hand in the van <laughs> clicks everything off, unlocks the door, turns off the engine um, and disengages everything and then backs up and drives off. So Ethan hops out of his pickup truck. He sees the van, but then runs to Jessica as he should, you know, to make sure she's okay. The door opens and Jessica's like, you see why I don't drive? Like, ma'am, this, okay, no. no but (laughs) anyway so then uh, they're at the sheriff's office and Ethan is making her some uh, I think she has tea but he's like do you want some bouillon hot chocolate do you you want coffee like what what do you want and she's like no this is fine Um, Amos then comes in and um, so oh Before we get to this, I was thinking that this was really stupid on the part of the conspirators to put Jessica in danger like this. Now, she she was scared to a point, but this just made her more determined to figure out what happened. They they really this is on like some taken stuff, right, where it's like you can just return my daughter. Or if you don't, I'm going to find you and everybody dying. So, but with Jessica, it's like, oh, so now I know that I'm close and I'm going to figure this out because you've put my life in danger besides the fact that as well as trying to frame a good friend of mine, that I was already going to do this because of that. But now you've put my life in danger. I'm even more determined to figure this out. And I'm going to figure it out faster now because you're a danger. So this was the stupidest thing that they could have done was to try to scare Jessica. Because if they knew anything about her, they would know that this would just make her even more determined. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, we're about to wrap this up. So... Now, back to the sheriff's office. Um, So uh, Amos thinks that it's Daniel, that uh, he invited them here to kill them with the driverless car. Now, that doesn't make any sense. And Jessica's like, that doesn't make any sense. Any normal person would ask, why would Daniel, who has a home in this town, who has made friends with people in this town, whose nephew is known in this town, um, who is good friends with Jessica and probably is well aware of her uh, ability to solve homicides. (laughs) Why would he? Because Amos found uh, some plans for inventions uh, in the backseat of the station wagon, but why would Daniel, who has a home there, like an actual house, okay, who has some level of a vehicle, okay, why would he leave and an entire lab, an entire lab in his garage that has all of his files in it, why would he put these uh, blueprints to both the... um? driverless car remote control system, as well as other inventions in the backseat of that car. That doesn't make sense. That is clearly a setup. Because why would he need those blueprints if he already set up the driverless car? You know who would need those those, uh, blueprints? Uh, Someone who didn't invent it. So (laughs) why would he put something that leads directly back to him? And you know it had his name on it like let's after that court fight you know he has like probably a watermark or something on there to let you know that this is his stuff so or if it didn't then you know where it came from it came from Wampco at that point um but what like it doesn't make any sense that he would be this sloppy about it when it could directly come back to him my question is Who was that car registered to? How about you start with that? How about you find out where the plates are from? Find out if it's a rental. Find out if it's uh, registered to any of the people who are in town or to the company. How about you do that instead of just looking at, oh, well, these were in the the back of the car and it has Daniel's name on it. So it must be Daniel. my goodness. Sheriff, honestly, like this is, this is shameful. (laughs) So now we're at o- in O'Brien's lab and he is looking for his records and uh, he, he's going through them. And so uh, he finds that uh, he finds his design plans for the uh, remote control car. And Amos says, well, these look exactly like the ones we found in the car. Of course they would, because hello, Amos, he created this. Years ago, when he worked for, wait for it, Wampco Electronics. And how much do you want to bet that even though they went through that lawsuit and he won, that they didn't copy everything he created for their business? So Woodley and Merrill had equal access to these plans. I don't understand why Amos can't see this. But anyway. So Jessica, while, um, while Daniel is looking through his files, Jessica um, goes to Tony and was like, oh, after you and Leslie left my house, uh, did you go straight back to your room? And he said, no, we came here and um, visited with my uncle. And she said, well, did you tell them about my theory about the old gentry farm and the car being there? to which Tony said, we did, we didn't, I didn't think there was anything secretive about it. Um, so yeah, we talked about it. And obviously Jessica's asking because she wants to be able to tell the sheriff, well, he didn't even know that I was going to the old gentry farm, but that's no longer a viable defense because now we know that he knew where she was going so now the next scene and this one pissed me off to be honest so we're in tony and leslie's room and leslie's like you know i love your uncle but maybe he's not mentally well or whatever he should get an evaluation leslie girl shut up okay because you have known tony for at best i'll say 40 days okay 40 days Uh, and you met his uncle literally mm, maybe a week ago and that's being generous so you don't know him you don't love him you don't know anything about him except what Tony may have told you which I'm gonna assume was just uh, had nothing to do with his uncle being mentally unstable probably about how he's a genius inventor and thinks only in the future and that he's a really great person and that he loves him and he's always been supportive of him so I know that Tony wasn't talking sideways about his uncle okay so Leslie you can you are not member of the family you don't even know these people too well the fact that he was willing to get married to you this quick I don't know what his self-esteem issues are but this is family business and this family ain't yours and it, you keep it shut it up shut to the up okay <laughs> I was just like how dare you say well you know I, I love your uncle but you know maybe he's mentally unwell you don't even know him okay rant finished okay so um now we're uh with Jessica and Katie in the woods and this is when Katie tells uh Excuse me tells Jessica about the fifty fifty partnership where Merrill provided all the money, and Woodley, as she said, ran the show and Now that Merrill is dead, Woodley owns a hundred percent of the business. However, they're having financial issues, so you know what's the real value of the business uh, at this point? No one knows, right. So then we're at the jail with Daniel, and Jessica's there. And they let her sit in the cell with him. I'm like, okay, y'all. The fact that they let Jessica like in there to to sit and speak with him as if they're in a conference room, but they're in a jail cell, shouldn't surprise anyone. But I thought it was a little funny. Anyway, so Daniel was like, oh, I'm sure that Katie told you about my stay in a sanitarium. Jessica's like, listen, everybody needs a little break here and there. <laughs> She really meant it when she says, that doesn't mean anything. Everyone needs a break sometimes. Sometimes that break needs to be uh, monitored by professionals. And other times it doesn't. And he, but the sad thing is in the scene is that Daniel is like, maybe I did do it. Maybe I'm a schizo or something. And I just don't remember doing it. Which is sad that he would think that he would be capable of doing this uh, while on a psychotic break and just forget about it um, because it's so out of character, but the evidence seems like it's him. Now, why that while being sad, that's really illogical because the amount of preparation, that would be required to do this. It's not like um uh he went up to Woodley and hit him in the knee with a, a baseball bat or, you know, got into a fight or shot Merrill. This was a very calculated attempted at murder and murder. So it's not something that you could have put together because he would have had to get the vehicle. He would have had to install his invention. He would have had to uh, procure the van. He would have had to, um, you know, uh, while getting them there, even though why would they... See, this is also the other thing. Why would they go there when they know they... Not only did they fire Daniel... But they tried to keep his inventions and he had to sue them. So I don't understand why they would, if he called them, why they would come to visit. There's nothing that you could say to me that will make me think that the hatchet has been buried when I tried to take everything that you worked for after firing you, your actual like... Uh, creations you know so that I hadn't thought about that before but that's very suspicious that they would even go there knowing how bad they did Daniel anyway (laughs) so um, Jessica's like well you know what we're here to help you let's see if that lawyer who wants him to get a psych exam um, can get you bailed out of here And she mentions Katie and Daniel looks off. And I honestly thought that Katie had come in the door the way he just stopped and looked. And, you know, there was this this look of realization in his eyes. He was like, yeah, she's always been there. So finally, finally, it's horrible that it took all this. But finally he sees um, that... Katie has always been there for him and not just there for him but cared and took care of him and you know despite his him with this forward thinking and being so focused and oblivious about anything other than his inventions that she still uh, loved him I think it all was coming clear at that moment and thankfully spoiler alert he's not the murderer so Things can actually work out, uh, so that, that's a good thing. So now, uh, we're on the road. Jessica has a a flat tire on her bike. Now I don't know if she set this up, uh, or what, but she has a flat tire on her bike, and uh, Tony is driving by. So he offers her a ride, um, and. Jessica just makes it plain. She's like, yeah, I don't think he... What's up with the psych exam? And it's like, well, he, my uncle could be unwell, mentally unwell. She's like, that's rubbish. And so, <laughs> like, in preparation for an insanity defense, which would not work because of how, like I said before, how complicated this plan was to um, prepare for and to execute. So there's no way that even if he was determined to be mentally unwell for whatever specified reasons that would make him legally irris- uh, not responsible, would fail because of all the intricacies that were required to set this up and execute it. But again, we need to move the story along. So let's go with it. So um, they stop at a gas station. Tony's like, well, the, gauge on, the gas gauge on this has been really finicky and and because Leslie has been driving back and forth from uh, Portland. So I let me get some gas. So they stopped for gas. Um, he asked for them to check the oil. They put gas in and it's $7.08. Now, I don't know how much it was per gallon. I don't know how much gas was going for in Maine in 1984. But even to Jessica, that seemed like a little bit of money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't seem like there was a lot of gas put in there. This is a rental car, right? So that's what also we find out because Jessica says that, oh, I have something in my eye. As he's going, he gets out of the car to pay uh, the $7.08. She says, oh you know, she's messing around. He's like, oh, what's wrong? She's like, oh, I have something in my eye. Do you have a tissue in the glove box? He says, yes. She opens it up. She sees the rental agreement. So this is a rental car. There shouldn't be an an issue with the gas gauge. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So <laughs> she looks at the mileage. Now we don't see what the mileage is on the vehicle, the actual ma- mileage, just what was on the contract. So anyway, so she um puts it back really quickly, gets the napkin out. She's like, oh, I'm much better. Thank you. So... They go on about um, their day. So then now they're at... This had to be later, right? Because Jessica is already at Daniel's home with Katie and uh, and Daniel. And then Tony pulls up in his vehicle. So I'm like, weren't they riding together? Like, did he drop her off at home? And then... She walk over to Daniel's. I don't. That doesn't make sense. <clears throat> but somehow Jessica is at the house with Daniel, and uh, Tony was not. Tony pulls up, and he's taking his uncle for the psych exam. So then the next scene, we're at a store, and um, on the Prime Video. This scene is a little bit more extended, um, but the TV version has a a shorter version of this. But anyway, Jessica's talking to Ethan, who is playing a driving game, and it has what? A steering wheel. So even with that steering wheel, to avoid getting into crashes and stuff, he is is really getting the work out here. He is really putting 110% into (laughs) into this game. That I think gives you like a minute for a quarter, which is actually a lot. I'm like, this is a good setup. So um, she's watching, and he's like, oh. she's like, why are you playing a child's game anyway? He's like, no, this is hand-eye coordination, and da-da-da-da-da. she was like, give me a quarter, I can do this. So he puts a quarter in, and Jessica is trying. Now, mind you, Jessica Fletcher does not drive. Okay, <laughs> has no license, never learned, does not drive. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, you can do this simulation, great. So she is really also like into it. And she's trying and he's like, oh, there's a deer. Oh, there's a, t- a tree. She's like, I can see it, Ethan, shut up. <laughs> so she's, he's like, you're crashing into everything. And she gets an epiphany. And she runs out. He's like, oh, you still have 40 seconds left on your quarter. And so he jumps right into it. (laughs) He's like, no need to waste a quarter, right? So the next scene, we're at the park, back where they had the Founders Day parade, uh, not parade, (laughs) picnic and clam bake. And they are going to reenact what happened on Founders Day at the picnic uh, to see if it jogs anyone's memory. And that... Tony is there because he is Daniel's nephew. But Daniel nor his nephew were there at the picnic. So I I don't it doesn't make sense why they're there. Uh but for for the purposes of wrapping the story up, they need to be there. So, okay. All right. So anyway, um Leslie is like Amos says, you know, we have Mr. Woodley here. He said he, he's willing to cooperate. And Leslie's like, "He he's not, he's out of the hospital? It's like, yes, he's over there with a the cane, right? So he's over there talking to, I think, a sheriff's deputy and someone else. And he has a cane. I think he's wearing the same suit. <laughs> they didn't even give him no, any new clothes. He has on the same suit. And talking about that just really quickly... What I don't think, how was Dean Merrill going to stay there? He literally had a briefcase. What was it? It wasn't even a suitcase, it was a like regulation size briefcase. He did he maybe he just had changes of underwear and t shirts in there, uh, but he couldn't (laughs) stay, he wasn't planning to stay too long. I'm like, you couldn't have fit any clothes in there for real, except for like underwear and t-shirts. Not even another pair of shoes. But that's separate and apart. Amos says, and this, this is the funniest part. When Amos is talking to Tony about we're doing the reenactment, he says, I don't argue with her. Speaking of Jessica, I don't argue with her when she gets set on something. Uh, sir, yes, you did. Sheriff, that's exactly what you did when she asked you to check out the old gentry farm but how quickly we forget. So then we see the gray and burgundy van pull up and we don't see who is driving it, but we notice that Leslie um, starts to look uncomfortable. Then we see the station wagon come out of nowhere, right? So we don't see the van again. We see it pull up and stop, then the camera angle changes to show Leslie. Uh, there's some talk, and then uh, we see a station wagon. One of the deputy sheriffs yells at Sheriff Tupper, at that like watch out. So he was walking next to Woodley, uh, towards the um softball diamond, baseball diamond, and he turns around. They both turn around. Amos takes off to the left and Woodley runs straight ahead, which like, honestly, you should have ran to the right. You don't run straight ahead. But anyway, so he throws his cane. Okay. he. Thank you, Lord. He's healed, right? <laughs> and what I also noticed that as Amos was running, I think that was actually Tom Bosley. Like, I think that was actually him. Unless they found uh, a stunt person who was similar, was shaped exactly like him, (laughs) which is possible. But I think that was actually Tom Bosley who was running um, as, well, Tom Bosley is the actor who plays Amos Tupper. Uh, But I think that was actually the actor doing the running. I thought that was interesting. Anyway. Anyway. So Jessica is, has her eyes cut watching someone on the side. We can't see who she's watching, but obviously the uh, murderer or conspirator is there. So Woodley is yelling. And if you listen closely, he yells, Leslie, someone turn it off, Leslie. Then Leslie runs to the gray and burgundy van opens the door and sees that the panel is not there. The switch panel is not there. Jessica then yells, uh, Ethan, you know, like, uh, shut it off, Ethan, or that's good, Ethan. However she yells, she yell, yells for Ethan, who was in his pickup truck with the panel sitting in front of him, gives the thumbs up, shuts everything down. To which after the car stops, uh, Woodley's like Leslie what are you doing Leslie so clearly Jessica was looking at Leslie and yes this is the same Leslie who is Tony's fiance after a month who is allegedly a saleswoman going to Portland on a daily basis uh, also the one who told um, Tony that she loved her, his uncle but that he needed to seek uh, a mental evaluation, okay, the same Leslie, okay, so Jessica uh then goes up to Leslie, who's staring in disbelief uh in the van that the panel's not there, and perhaps she looked through the window and saw that Ethan had it, right, but she's trying to play this off right, so Jessica's like, why would you why in the world would you go to this vehicle? She was like, Well, it's bigger, so no, she was like, so I could. Uh, drive it onto the field and block the car. And it's like, well, why didn't you go to your car? It's like, well, this one's bigger, which is which is true. Which is true. Um but Leslie, how would you have the keys to this vehicle? <laughs> how are you going to drive it onto the uh onto the baseball diamonds uh if you didn't have the key? Okay. And wasn't there were sheriffs and deputy the sheriff was there the deputy sheriffs were there and they nobody tried to run to block that car so mm, your story's not adding up but okay and so Jessica's like why wouldn't you take your car but it gets such good mileage she's like what's this about so she's like listen Jessica's like I checked the rental agreement and the mileage and I checked the actual mileage on the vehicle and with a little subtraction there's no way that you were driving 100 miles round trip to Portland ever during this period of time ever so um she Leslie says well I changed my mind and didn't go and Tony walks up at this point he's like that's not what you told me uh and that's surely not what you told the audience or Jessica or Katie or Daniel And um, at this point, uh, Leslie says, it was all his idea. Woodley, he forced me to do it. To which Woodley's like, shut up, Leslie. They don't have anything on us. They can't prove it, I think he says. They can't prove it. And my question is, how do they know each other? Okay, so Katie never said, now, now, Maybe Leslie started working for Wampco after Katie left, so Daniel wouldn't have known her, and Katie wouldn't have known her. She would have then been known to um, Woodley and Merrill possibly, because Merrill may not have may have never been on the scenes, just like paid his money and got his dividends uh, every month. And had no hands in it. So Merrill might not have even known her either. But that might be, that's my best guess on how they would have known each other, this young, beautiful woman and this crotchety old man who owns this company. But because Daniel worked there, they would know about Tony. Um, Tony wa- worked in Boston. They also had their offices in Boston. He may have had a contact in the bank uh to know that Tony was single. Um and Woodley set this all up so that he had the attempt and he could pretend to be injured as to remove suspicion from him and then have Leslie set up to do the um the actual dirty work uh, while he was free and clear And they thought that Leslie was in Portland. Now, I don't understand why on the days that she wasn't attempting to murder someone, (laughs) why she didn't actually go to Portland and just hang out there and then drive back so that there would at least be the mileage on the car, obviously there's no way that she could have read Jessica's books and still participated in this and still attempted to scare Jessica. So then we're at the final scene. We're at Jessica's house. And so it's Jessica, Ethan, Daniel, and Katie. Because Tony is, you know, trying to get his life back in order after this obviously very upsetting discovery that this woman that he was about to marry was actually trying to, uh, destroy his uncle and, um, and actually murdered somebody, you know? So, um, we learned that, well, we already knew that Woodley was taking over, would take over the entire company, but Jessica breaks it down as to why this happened this way. With Merrill dead, um, Woodley would take over the whole company if Daniel was deemed to be insane having killed uh, Meryl then his uh then Tony would have control over his estate but since he wasn't dead we find out that if Daniel were to die he's already willed his inventions to his alma mater, the University of Maine. So, you know they they will go into archives and and be property of the university. But if Daniel was deemed insane, his will wouldn't kick into effect. Uh, his heir, which I'm guessing is his only relative, must be Dan. Uh, must be Tony. So Tony would then be in control of his inventions and his home and et cetera. And with Tony married to Leslie, who was under the, uh, under the direction of Woodley, um, they would have access. So Leslie would control Tony, who had uh, guardianship over uh, Daniel's estate then they would have access to all of Daniel's inventions. But the one of import was a security screen. And Daniel's like, oh, what type of marriage would that have been? But he says also that, like, I made that security screen years ago. It was worthless. And Jessica's like, no, like, Willie was deposed. And he said that they had just signed a deal for a multi-million dollar deal, well, I'm sorry, a multi-million dollar contract, uh, for to produce these security screens, and that's why they needed access to it because they knew that Daniel was never going to come back and work for them, so that they could get access legitimately. And Jessica was like, the simplest thing would have been to kill you. But if they did, then everything would go to the University of Maine and they couldn't get it. So they needed a few puppeteers in place. So what I don't understand is that was really bold of Woodley and Merrill to sign this multimillion dollar contract for something they did not own or have the rights to. So, I don't know if Merrill knew. I don't know if Merrill was involved, um, or if it was a hundred percent Woodley, and he was like, "Okay, I'm going to set up this plan, and this is how I'm going to be able to um, get Daniel's work without having to deal with Daniel." So then, um, Daniel. Gets up, he makes a toast to Jessica and to Katie and they're, they, <laughs> he sits down and he's like staring into her eyes like, oh, you have always been there and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, <laughs> at this point, Ethan's like, yes, I got to go. Thanks for the meal. Hate to eat and run, but I got to go. They're having a competition uh, for this, this driving game down at the store and since I am the reigning champion, I have to go and defend my title. So Jessica's like, wait, like, can I go with you? He's like, why? It's like, well, I've been practicing, so I'd like to play. So <laughs> he's like, all right, well, it's your quarter. And we see Daniel talking to Katie. And he's like, um, I'm not going to Arizona with you, but I'll move heaven and earth for you to stay here with me. So it's like, oh, it's gonna work out for them. That's really nice. Um, because I'm sure Tony is gonna need both of their supports to, to get through this rough patch for him. Uh, but that was that was really, really nice. Um, uh, but just as an aside, Jessica is like, oh, the dishes can wait. You have two people in your house and you are leaving them there <laughs> to go play a video game at a store. I, I am very surprised. Like I know, you know, Daniel and Katie, they're not going to steal anything or whatnot, but they can't lock your door. So your doors are just going to be unlocked. Um, I guess they'll leave when they get ready, but (laughs) they probably didn't even notice you were leaving. To be honest, they were really just like into each other. But I thought that every time I watch this, I think that is the craziest thing that she is leaving them in her house as she's just going off to the store. (laughs) So when they leave her, her house is just unlocked, just unlocked. Um, Although she told us in uh, the first full episode after the pilot, uh, Deadly Lady, that uh, there are no burglaries in Cabot Cove. So I guess she's not worried. She, she is not worried. But um, that is the end of another amazing episode. This one is on my DVD. I watch this uh, very regularly. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about it, but I do, I like how it comes together. Even the ridiculousness of how they're actually uh, controlling the car with switches. But just the concept of it um and this was really forward thinking in 1984 you know so uh, the electronic the um yeah the electronic car driverless car you know which we're seeing today and they're still working out the the issues with it uh because whatever they (laughs) created in 1984 ain't working um so (laughs) but this is a great one um, and next week we will be talking about another one that's on my DVR, another one of my faves, We're off to kill the wizard. Um, that quality. So anyway, <laughs> if you cannot wait for next Sunday evening to hear this, you can go over to Patreon at just me being dramatic and you can sign up to get early access. Now, if you want a little bit more than that, not just the early access, but you want a monthly book review of the Murder, She Wrote book series, you can go over to Patreon, just me being dramatic. And instead of the $2 a month, you can, I'm sorry, instead of the $3 a month, you can pay the $5 a month and get early access to every episode. You can get the... Once a month book review of the Murder, She Wrote book series, as well as a monthly review of Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, one of their mystery series Uh, that will be starting in December. As we all know, all of us who are huge fans of the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel, they're currently doing their Christmas uh, all year round, it <laughs> feels like. Uh, so I am making every effort to try to get one of their series so that I can review it for you guys. But if I'm not able to before the end of December, then though that movie review will be in January once they go back to our beloved murder mystery movies, <laughs> all right, you guys. I can hardly wait till next week, but thank you guys for joining me again for The Fletcher Files, A Murder, She Wrote podcast. So I will see you next week or I will see you over on Patreon. All right, you guys. Bye.